Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your time. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hits Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. All right, first time on the Bradford Show. That means T-shirts on the way. Kevin Euclid. Kevin, what's going on? Good morning. Good morning. Yes, good morning. West Coast. West Coast owner owner of Loma Brewing Company and owner of Loma Coffee Company. Which is more difficult? That is the biggest question. The coffee or the beer? Oh, hands down the beer. Way more uh way more things can go wrong with beer and uh just you have uh, more taxes and uh federal and, and worries. So uh coffee's a little easier on that on that level, but and also it's uh, quicker. Uh, beer is a process and it takes a little time to make. Coffee, you can roast those beans, and in three days they're ready to serve. Well, I drink one of those two things, and um, it's <laughs> and it, 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 it's not coffee. So I want to, a little bit. We'll get to like I I am interested in sort of where you're going with Loma and, and everything uh, in regards to the company because obviously, you know, when guys quit playing, they, they go a lot of different avenues. A lot of them go coaching. A lot of them go you know different places. But this is I think this is pretty unique, and I think it's pretty cool too. But I, I just told you, you know, I think that I I follow you on Twitter. Um, you know, we we were together. You know, I was covering you as a player, uh, but be, even before I saw your tweets, Kevin, like I've been thinking about you know you as a player in the time that you played, and especially the time where you really dominated of of how you would be perceived nowadays. I, does that has that crossed your mind at all? Uh, you know, I, I don't really look about how I would be in today's game. I, I kind of. Uh... It's funny, uh, the way I got into the league was kind of unique and funny because it was this weird perceived notion of, you know, money ball. And the, only, and, and the joke was in the clubhouse, and uh, Doug Mirabelli was always the one that uh, said it the most, but they said you're the first player ever to walk to the big leagues. <laughs> and, you know, the whole joke about the Greek kind of walks and all that was funny, but 
know, the funny thing was, was that, that what got overlooked a lot was the, the hits and the hitting ability. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's what's kind of the unique thing that people always want and ask me is, how do you develop plate discipline? And we want you to teach that. And it, it's such a hard thing to talk about in a lot of ways. And I always like refer to Nomar Garciaparo versus myself. Um, Nomar was a guy that would swing it. He could swing first pitch and get hits, and he'd swing it pitches out of the zone, and he get hits. And he wasn't he wasn't patient like myself. Mm. So I, what I've learned through it all and trying to figure out the new, you know, I guess, the, the, and I hate the new school, old school. Yeah. Uh, I really, that's my. my yeah, but, it, it, but you, know, you know how it is. It goes in cycles. So it's, it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's the big thing. And for me in today's game, you know, I, I just try to, every day I just try to make myself better. I, I try to be as well-rounded of a player as possible to help my team win every day. I hated losing. So if, if there was something I need to work on to help us win, that's all I was thinking of. You know, what, what are you talking about? You're going back, and, and you're right. You were one of the – because of Moneyball and because of uh, – it was sort of the forefront. People started prioritizing walks and getting on bases and everything else. But, I mean, you hit the crap out of the ball. And especially, you know, I look at 2007 and 2008. Those two years, or I'm sorry, two, was it 2008, 2009? You were yes. top 10 MVP voting. I mean, I look at those years, and and to to go to from the the guy with the weird stance who walked a lot to what you were. Let's just say in 2008, you should have won the MVP yes. that year, Kevin. I mean, on it. No, listen, we all love Dustin Pedroia. God bless him. But if if you if it was judged on how people are judging it right now, you would have won the MVP that year. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always the MVP was always a hard thing for me um, in a lot of ways because you have two players on a team that that are gritty players that grind it out that you know complement each other, and I, I've always felt that the MVP award is kind of a, a weird award in a lot of ways because there's always five or six guys that are right there in the hunt and deserving. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Dustin and I, but that, that's also the thing, too, about us, too, is our mindset every day. Our mindset every day was just to win ball games and figure out a way to do it. It wasn't, hey, should we worry about our own personal stats? And, yeah, you, you're worrying about your own individual self in a lot of ways because when you step in the batter's box, that's all you can control is you individually as a player. Uh, so I think that's that's one of the differences uh, when you look back and, and evaluate the teams we had and the teams I, and the guys I played with, it was just a bunch of individuals that knew how to play to their to their potential and just fed off each other. And I would never have been the player I was if it wasn't for my teammates and coaches. Well, you go back to sort of the evolution, and we're going to get back to sort of how it's being perceived and, and hitting and, and what's being prioritized and even hitting in structures. But, yeah, I want to go back to that 2008 season. And the reason why we know that Pedroia had a great year, an unbelievable year. And, but you look at it right now, uh, right now as a voter for MVP, I know what people are prioritizing. The first thing they go to is war. And you guys both right. had good wars. But just more know who finished second that year. You finished third. Pedroia finished first. Justin Morneau had a 4.2 war. I mean, you were 6.3. Pedroia was 6.9. And also, by the way, in that year, the or, or you go back to uh, the OPS, which is number two on the list. 
Bedroya was 18th in the American League. So that's why I say, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, that's why I say that, you know, I think the, this, this is one of the things that when we look at the evolution or, or how things are cyclical, that this is a perfect example of that, I think. And I, I think that it comes back to your point, I think that you tweeted, listen, you know, if you hit the ball hard, you know, that's, and you're a good hitter across the board like you were, you know, that should be prioritized. Yeah, that's something. Uh, I mean, you you have to be able to control uh, certain things, and hitting is the hardest thing to do in all sports. And I think what's what's going on right now is we have a lot of people that, and this isn't a knock against people that haven't played the game. It's more along the lines of there's an understanding of when you play the game and thought process and, and the mindset and what it takes to stand in that box every single day and grind out at bats and the ups, the downs, the, you know, and everything in between, it's a lot harder than a lot of people are making it out to be. Uh, What we're creating right now is a lot of one-dimensional swings. We're trying to say, hey, okay, this is your best swing on this pitch. You know, this is the, you know, let's, let's, this is the pitch you can drive out of the ballpark. And that's the one, and this is the swing we need to have. Well, the problem with all this is there's multiple swings. You can't have the same swing on every pitch. Uh, because every pitch has different movement, every pitch has different location, every pitch has different speed. And I think that's one of the, the things that we need to talk about more is, uh, you know, let's, you know, and everyone's always like these blue pits. And I go, well, a blue pit down the right field line when you get jammed is a double. Right. But the ball you hit off the green monster at the top of the wall is a single. How do we evaluate, you know, so like all these things and OPS and all that, there's a lot of different variables and there's not a perfect vacuum that we're in when we talk about all these stats. So, you know, for me, when I look at all this stuff and evaluate, you know, you know, old versus new and theories and all that, there's still the human element that we have to really focus on. It's the mental makeup of the player that steps on the field. And sometimes we negate that when we try to just stick with just using numbers all the time. So, so we had mentioned the numbers, the MVP stuff, and how the numbers sort of fluctuate. And you had also now you're touching on also another big part of this, which is the private hitting instructors and and you know the launch angle. I mean, can you imagine, Kevin, when you were coming up, if if you had the dynamic that really was in baseball for the last couple of years about guys really saying you have to have a launch angle or you have to go to a or you I really would recommend you going to a private hitting instructor. I mean. Can you put yourself yeah. in that spot? Well, uh, my, my thing was, yeah, no, I, I never went to one. Uh, I, I basically had the best hitting instructors all year. Uh, the off season was mainly just to get myself in physical shape. Uh, I felt that if I got in the, in the right physical shape in the off season, did everything in my power to to get myself as healthy and strong as possible for the upcoming season, that would allow me to go to spring training and work on all the little things I need to do with our hitting coaches. Uh, you know, major league organizations have a ton of great you know, hitting coaches that can that can work with you and build up all your swings and all the things you need. And that's why I'd always just show up early in spring training too, is to be there to have those evaluators sit there and, and watch. And um, But I think that's also the problem too is everyone has, they, they have a crutch. that You know, you have to become your best hitting coach. If you want to make it and you want to be the and be at the major league level, you are your best hitting coach. You know, the, and I always say this, if I become a hitting coach, I'm the assistant to all the, all my hitters. I'm assisting them because they are their best hitting coaches. So, so you got it back and forth with one guy, Richard Schne- uh, Schenick, who's a teacher man. Uh, teach. 
at Teacher yeah. Man 1986. He he evidently, you know, he's a hitting instructor, I guess, a private guy, and and he said that you know he taught Manny, he had a video of him teaching Manny. But this is another thing that made me want to talk to you because I'm with you. Like I don't, you know, this guy, you shouldn't. None of these people should step forward and say I help make this guy this. You know, like to your point, it's the hitter. The hitters are their their the best instructors. But I think I think more and more we're seeing this where where people want to say no no you should come to me you should come to me because I did this with that guy and look at him you know am I wrong about that yeah no no yeah it's it's one hundred percent accurate everything's become a business model um, everything's become a salesman approach um, if if you're selling a brand uh, that you know the, the the players should sell your brand the, the players should come around and say hey you got to go to this guy he's really really good he's He's, you know, he has the right information. He gets you on path. He gets you right where you need to be. You know, a lot about being a hitting coach is, is, is really, I don't know what the percentages, I hate throwing percentages out there, but almost being a psychologist in a lot of ways. You know, you, you're just there to kind of help people and guide them and get to know them as a person. And sometimes you don't even need to talk about a swing. You need to talk about, you know, something they're going through in life and, and, and the mental drains of baseball or the mental drains they're facing, you know, with a family problem or a girlfriend or all these variable things come into play because a lot of times it's not our mechanics that are off, it's our mind. Our mm-hmm. mind is not in the right direction we need it to be. We have many different thoughts going through our head. You know, we're going through slumps, we're thinking about, I need to get a hit rather than, wait, I need to see the ball and I need to react. Because at the end of the day, we can break down mechanics over and over and over. But these guys that step in the box at the major level are the best reactionary hitters in all the world. They don't have time to think. You know, when you're in that box, you, you want the least amount of thinking in between pitches. You want to have a set cue. And when you're raking, and I always say this, is talk to any hitter, they're like, oh, I didn't even think. I just stepped in the box and I just competed. And that's what half the time of being a hitting coach is. I'm a big believer that if you say there's only one way to do it and it's my way, you've already lost me as a coach because we all know that there's many different ways to go about it. And each individual has to find that within themselves. Did, did you almost ever change your, especially when you were a really young player, have someone said, you know, I want you to change this way. And, and you know, listen, you're young. You want to get along, change something that you look back now and said, man, if I changed it, it would have been disastrous. Uh, well, well, it's funny. My, my freshman year of college, my coach, Brian Cleary, who's uh, now a scout with the Washington Nationals, uh, you know, he was really adamant on working with me on my on my stance. And, you know, we were trying to figure out every little thing. And it, it was just an absolute mental grind for me personally. I hit like 289, I think, my freshman year, which I thought was the end of the world. Because you go from like hitting 500 in high school to hitting 289, you're like, oh, my God, this, my career's <laughs> over. Um, so that mental you know, grind was tough. But what you realize is you're, you're facing a lot of older guys. It's a transition. And we did everything. I mean, we tried all these things. And then finally he just, you know, I was getting so frustrated. And, he, and, I, and I always applaud him for this. He looked at me and just said, you know what? This kid's going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. He let me kind of go on my own. And through that, that mental grind and, and changing a bunch of different things my freshman year, I learned that I had to keep building and learning just how my how swing path and, and timing and, and what is going to work best for myself. And once he kind of let me go and do my thing, it all kind of came about. But it took 
trying a bunch of different things, trial and error, and failures to gain success. Who was, I'm not going to ask you who the best hitting coach you had because that's unfair because, you know, a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people have different strengths. But but yeah. who was the guy that you lined up the best with? The, the, who just for you, um, just it, it clicked. And it can be, like you said, maybe it was just talking about life, you know, you just connected with and, and it translated to your, your production one way or the other. Well, Dave Magnet, I really enjoyed and got along with. And, uh, I, I, I love Max. He was he was a great hitting guy. We had a lot of great talks. Uh, you know, we had even fun you know political talks in the case sometimes, and uh, that was kind of fun too because the differences of opinions are always. Uh, I love it. I mean, challenging of ideas is, is one of the best things. We try to stay away from politics as much as possible, but uh, Max was great. Um, I really enjoyed him. He he was he was really just an influential guy to me that he knew. He knew how to. He knew I was going to put all the work in. Uh, I was a workhorse in that sense of I just. And sometimes he had to pull the reins and say, "Hey, that's enough. You're good." You know, and and even though I, and Eno Guerrero, who was there with Mags, was awesome for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys just really worked hard with me. They knew when I was beating myself up how to get to calm me down and get me back. Um, and and that's what it is. A lot of times, like I said, is the mental side of it is just as is just as important as the mechanics. You know, we can get swing coaches, and I always say the swing coaches are just guys that can go in there and break down a video and tell you what you're doing wrong. Well, a lot of people can do that, and we've been doing it, and, and hitting coaches have done it for a long time. You know, a lot of stuff that's happening with data and all the mechanical things that get talked about are things we already knew, but now they're just being said in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're kind of, a lot of stuff is justifying things we've already known to be. Now, there are things that are being talked about, like swing down versus swing up, and all these little nuances. But when you when we talk about swing down versus swing up, and all these things that hitting coaches will say, the thought process doesn't always match what's on video. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. one of the keys that I learned with hitting coaches is, hey, listen, like you, you know, let's raise your your hands are down a little too far. Let's raise them up. Well, in your mind, when you make that adjustment, you think your hands are a foot higher. But in reality, on a video, they can show you it's literally an inch higher. Mm-hmm. And now you got to trick your mind into, into believing that, okay, this, this is not as high as I think it is. But initially, i got to think it's a foot high in order to make those little adjustments. Did, did you do a lot you of video? Mag and Eno were the best ones of that for me. Did you do a lot of video back, you know, this when it was sort of coming into vogue, I guess, but... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I watched a lot of video. I, I wanted to see, like, where my hands were going. Were they dropping too much? Uh, a lot of people ask me, like, what well, your practice swings? Why did you swing down? I said, because I didn't want my back shoulder to drop. I knew when, when I, when my back shoulder would collapse or my back leg would collapse more, it would force more of an upward swing, causing me to over-rotate, and it would get top spin to the pull side and weak fly balls to the opposite field. So I wanted to stay away from that as much as possible. I wanted to stay as tall on my backside as possible, stay within my body and my legs, and then try to be on plane as much as by, you know, there's different planes for different, you know, if you're, if you're getting the ball down, you got to get down in there more. If the ball's up, you got to be shorter and direct. So I knew that I had the best chance possible on all pitches. If I would stay taller um, on my backside and not have a collapse. In another part of it, you talk about sort of the evolution of swinging up, swinging down and everything else. And Mags, 
mentioning Max made me think of this is, you know, he was universally applauded. Look at their, his lineups. Look at how many pitches they take. You know, they prioritize, obviously, when you were playing. When Napoli came in, oh, he takes four and a half pitches per plate appearance. And then I remember, I think it was uh, 2014, you know, John Henry halfway through the year saying, you know, maybe we're taking too many pitches. And I'm like, what? You built a team off of taking pitches, and now you're saying <laughs> you're, taking, you're t- taking too many pitches. And now what you have in the last couple of years, uh, you know, attack that first pitch. Mookie, we want you to attach that, attack that first fastball. You know, that is one thing that I think from when you played, it's not where as we sit here, it's probably been done a, a reversal, don't you think? Yeah, well, there's, there's, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes you need to be attacking more and sometimes you need to be taking more. And over 600 or 700 plate appearances, I mean, it rides in waves. I mean, there's times where you, you need to be less aggressive and there's times you need to be more aggressive. And that's, and that's getting to know yourself, getting to know the opposition. Because it's not always what you need to do. You're facing the pit. Every pitcher you're facing is different. And on every single day, you got to have a different approach and different plan. Now, your, your mechanics and your swing and your timing kind of stay the same because you want to stay within who you are with your strengths. But if a guy's pounding in and you're looking away all day, then you, you're never going to have a chance to get to that pitch. Mm-hmm. So you have to apply all the, uh, all the different you know, levels of, um, you know, whether it be approach and plan or should I, should I be more aggressive this, you know, should I lay off this? I mean, it, it's a daily thing. And, and that's the thing about hitting is, it is daily, and you have to change daily. And you know, all, the, all this. There's so many cliches, right? Pitch to pitch, and <laughs> yada yada yada. We don't need to say them all here right now, yeah. but it's true. A lot of it is. So let's say, you know, and that's the thing with stats and data. Like we have all this great data out there, and there's all this great analytics. But on that given day, that data and analytics might not match up to his past performance. So if a, if a guy's out there and he doesn't have his breaking ball, but he throws 40% curveballs. Well, if he can't throw that curveball for strikes and, you, and, and the hitters aren't biting on it, guess what happens? That number is going to go dramatically down. So now we're looking at maybe 80% or 60% fastballs. So now we have to adjust as hitters. And that part of the game is not talked about enough. You know, some, some, some guys now, and, I, and I've noticed this by working with the Cubs, is, you know, they just don't have the approach of plan. They just, you know, there's a lot of guys that do, and that's why they are the most successful. But the ones that don't, are in there and they're just having their ace swing every single time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's And that's a dangerous thing. I think in a nutshell, sort of full circle, what we're talking about is that you, every a lot of people think this is how it's done. This is where baseball is going. Everyone has to be this way 162 games a year. And, you know, to go back to the sort of the launch angle, the swinging up and swinging down, you know, there's I can tell you in the last couple of years, and maybe you saw some of the Cubs as well, where you had guys who said who went to the off season and they said I have to learn how to have a, a, a better launch angle in my swing, and it, it ruined them. I'll give you an example of it. A yeah. guy, guy Sam Travis for the Red Sox. And Sam Travis uh-huh. is a is first baseman, line drive hitter, hit the crap out of the ball. Would hit balls you know on the line all over the place. But every year you you're playing a corner position. So the perception is, oh, well, you have to hit with power. He goes in the offseason and said, i got to swing up more. Hits about six home runs in spring training, thinks he's figured it out. First two months of the minor league season, can't hit anything. You know, that's, you right. know, that's the dangerous thing, right? Well, yeah, because spring training is, think about it. What do guys work on in spring training? 
Yeah, I mean, straight ball. They're not at full speed. Yeah. They're they're throwing more fastballs, right? They're working on they're working on things. They're not competing at the same level, right? We've all seen it. You know, just because you you, you hit a bunch of home runs in spring training, you know, it doesn't mean you're gonna you know have that success during the year. We I, we've all seen that. There's the guys on the cusp of making the team. The fans get super excited. They say, "Oh my God, they got to put that guy up there." <laughs> Next thing you know, he goes down to minor leagues at two forty. It's not a knock against the player. He he he, he might go on to hit two eighty or two ninety that year. But what's hot and sexy early is not always what lasts over the full year. I always say is, as a hitter, we have to give ourselves the best percentage of being great day in and day out. If we don't adjust, right and biggest thing now is the pitchers have adjusted the pitchers have found a hole in swings more now than ever and they've thrown at the top of the zone at an alarming rate compared to how they used to throw mm-hmm. and guys are just they're swinging and missing or fouling balls off and you know they're just not connecting on those pitches because they're not making the proper adjustment my thing is this it's not the way i did it i've never taught my my swing my my batting stance that's not how i believe it my goal is, as a hitting guy, is to tell guys, I want you to live the best life you want to live as a hitter. I want you to be able to handle as many pitches as possible. You're not going to be able to cover them all, but the wider range throughout the quadrants that you can cover, the greater success and the greater the, the chance of you living out your dreams are. Who was who the, the best spring training hitter that you remember for the Red Sox? Because I know who the worst was, Ortiz. I mean, he was terrible. Manny, Manny was pretty bad the first couple weeks. Yeah. yeah. I, I would joke around, and if you ever watch me, I was, yeah, David wasn't too good either, but Manny's first two weeks of hitting, he hit these ground balls to second base all the time. <laughs> and he hit, like, ground balls, and you'd be like, dude, did he lose it? Is this the year? <laughs> and then literally the last two weeks of spring training, you see this progression of line drives, line drives. And he just built up. He, he he was seeing pitches. He was trying to figure out speed, figuring out timing. But he didn't need to care. You know, you're making $20 million a year and you're, you got an eight-year deal. You don't have to care as much. You can work on things. So, you know, that's why some of these uh, younger guys, it was always the winter ball guys, right? Right. I mean, the winter, guys that played winter ball yeah. always raked the spring training. It just, you know, they, they just, they had more, they, you know, their timing was down. They, they had less of a break of hitting and, you know, those guys were always the ones that hit the best, I felt. Yeah, Ortiz was at the classic line. I remember Johnny Miller was peppering him. He was like one for 18. And it's like, <laughs> last, time I, last time I checked, I didn't put spring training stats in the back of baseball cards, which is, you know, it was like, okay, that was a pretty good uh, pretty good example of it, yeah. Um, so uh, one last thing, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a conversation that's been going on around here regarding contract extensions because this Mookie Betts has not signed a contract extension, and it just opens up, and he, he, he's basically went all the way to free agency. And the guy I remember doing that for the Red Sox was Papelbon, saying, I'm going to go all the way. I'm not signing extension. I'm, I'm just going to go through arbitration now. You did sign an extension, um, and well, same with Pedroia, same with Lester. Can you take me through that mindset a little bit? I've never signed an extension. I don't. I've never had the chance to become a free agent, so I don't know what it's like. But can you just talk a little bit about that mindset um, and what these guys are thinking? You know, it's funny, and, and this is just like you know everything in baseball with being unique. You know, everyone has a unique mindset uh, when it comes to signing a contract. Um, you know, I, 
I think there's there's some guys that you know truly just want to believe in themselves and say I, I want top dollar. I, I deserve it. I want it. I'm going to go show that I can do it. And it's a great mindset because they're challenging themselves every year to be great, and that's a good thing. And then there's other guys that don't even want to think about the money, right? I think there's a few of us that we just wanted to have the mindset of I am set for the rest of my life mm-hmm. with this contract, and I'm okay signing it because I don't want to think about the money side of baseball. For me, personally, uh, once I hit arbitration and the first year of arbitration, the process and the things that were said, and it's funny, Jed Hoyer and I joke about it now, um, Jed was basically like, I had to lie, <laughs> you know, like I had to lie about things. And I remember the mindset of going through it and how mad my, and I have one of the nicest agents in the world, Joe Bick, right. um, and how mad he was at Jed and the business. And what happened was, was it, it kind of, it kind of put me in a direction where I saw baseball in a whole different light. I grew up playing the game because I loved it. I loved the whole entire grind of baseball, uh, the frustration, the joys, uh, being out there getting dirty, just learning. It, it, the game was just so pure to me in so many ways. And then once I hit arbitration, it became this really odd feeling of, holy cow, this isn't the game I grew up loving. It's more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's people talking about how much money you're making and how much you deserve and you're like, wait, but don't they want me to do really well? And don't they want to pay? And, you know, it just got really, really hard in a lot of ways. So for me personally, I wanted to sign a deal that would just stop all the money talk. Mm-hmm. And I could go out there and focus on just playing baseball. And, and, and also, but also there's a thing too, where you have to worry about, you know, your peers and you don't want to, you don't want to sign a bad deal, um, in some ways because you don't want your peers to get, you know, the same contracts and feel like they're, and feel like teams are, um, you know, being, you know, being negative towards them too, and say, "Well, hey, Kevin, sign this. Why don't you sign this?" Mm-hmm. So, I, th- I think it's hard. I think everyone takes a different approach. But I always tell people um, the best thing to do is is kind of play through your, uh, uh, one or two years, your arbitration years. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't don't you know? Don't sign too early because you might be, you know, you might be selling yourself a little short on money. But also, you can't judge somebody too for signing a deal early because they just they just don't want to deal with it. They just want to play. Did anyone give you crap about signing your deal? Like, like I know that's a very real dynamic. Uh, yeah, I don't remember if anyone gave me too much. You know, the, the, I was just a unique guy. I mean, I, I didn't get I didn't get to play every day until I was twenty seven years old, mm-hmm. right? So I, I was very unique. I mean, I I, didn't, I saw the writing on the wall. It's like how many years, you know. I'm in my, you know, this will take me to I'm 30 in my in my 30s, and if I can keep playing, I'll find another big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember some people like saying like, "Oh, you could have got more money." Well, yeah, I probably could have got more money, but also I wasn't in the same boat as somebody that was 24 years old and had the same amount of time in the major leagues. So um, I was I was pushing time. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the game was changing in a lot of ways. Steroid era was over, so guys weren't playing as long, and now we're seeing more that. You know, if you if you last past thirty five, I mean, you're an anomaly in a lot of ways. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't get too much crap for it, but you know, more more guys were excited for me um, because I never thought I was going to make that much money playing baseball in my life. <laughs> so, it, it was the greatest day of my life. Did Did you think that you were going to play for the Red Sox forever when you signed that deal? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. I thought I was going to play there. Um, you know, and you know, then you learn it's it's a business and. Crazy things happen, and 
you know, you just, you, it was hard. I mean, you know, getting traded was a very hard thing for me. Uh, that year was that year was extremely rough uh, from spring training on in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah but it was. Yeah, it was uh, there was things that people don't know behind the scenes, and maybe someday we'll talk about it. Uh, we won't name names, but yeah. certain things that have happened, and I think you know some things that have happened yeah. uh, behind closed doors that were really rough, and you know, it's just, it's it wasn't fun. And that year. I think I needed to move on in a lot of ways because of things that were happening behind closed doors. But I still wish I would have played with the Red Sox for the rest of my career. You know, that was, Kevin, I'm, you know, like you said, a lot of stuff will probably come out later, but that was the craziest year I've ever covered. i got to be honest with you. That was, that was nuts. But it was... It, you, could, you could see it every day when you walked in. Oh, every and, day. And, and, every single day. You could see, well, and, and, and it's more than what people think. They, people think it was just Bobby Valentine, but it wasn't just Bobby Valentine. There were other things within that were a little wild. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, a lot of those too. But, um, you know, for me, I think that you could, you could see the, and you could see the people that really loved the chaos mm. that mm. would come in and they'd be in good, <laughs> the, the media that liked the chaos. I always said, <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't phased by it. But a lot of the media members that were there for, you know, covering baseball and talking baseball and the love of baseball, it really wore on them. And uh, it was tough. It was a tough year for a lot of uh, a lot of good people within the industry. And I'm not going to harp on this, but you talking about it just made me remember I said this. The, you know, when that whole thing about, um, you know, what Bobby said on Channel 7, you know, about you and everything in Pedroia, this is how we do things maybe in Japan, people forget – that was two weeks into the season. That was two weeks into the season. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was also 8.30 in the morning. Um, yeah, I, I, I heard it the night before, and somehow I woke up, and I didn't get any sleep that night. And it was, it was hard. I mean, out of all the things that ever happened in my life, I mean, you know, you know me, working hard and being emotionally invested, I, I, I came every day played as hard as I could and you know and I think that's why guys were like oh my god what's going on here because if, if he if he's not you know, emotionally invested or mentally into it then we're all in trouble if, that, if that's the case yeah uh all right well I'll, I, I'll let you before we let you go I just want to give you an opportunity if you can about Loma what you're doing what and I know that you're grow, growing pretty rapidly but tell me something that is like the next level for you guys yeah, so uh, Loma Brewing Company is my brew pub that I started three and a half years ago. It's here in Los Gatos, California. Uh, we're we're just, you know we we just serve our beer in house right now. We've kind of started to scale back, and we're just going to can in house and distribute just to a, a small amount of places. I know people in Boston really want the beer. It's just a lot harder than that. Um, we are looking to open a brewery that's bigger um, in the next few years. Um, working daily to try to get that to happen we can increase um, and grow. Um, I don't know if we'll get out to Boston with our distribution, but I know we'll get more distribution throughout the Bay Area. Um, I also have, a, like you said, I'm a, I just started this roasting company, uh, Loma Coffee Company. It's in Portland, Oregon. Uh, my roaster, Brandon Smythe, uh, he's good, he does an amazing job of roasting them. Uh, you know, we're a finalist for the Good Food Awards this Friday, so we find out if we won, so, which is really cool. And uh, the coffee you'll be able to get online. Nice. So the coffee will be easier to get than the beer. So look out for the coffee. Uh, Loma-coffee.com. 
Excellent. Coffee's yeah. always easier to get than beer, but in this case, it's even easier. Um, all right, Kelly. Yeah, there are federal laws there. So <laughs> it's a lot Stupid laws. Um, but, Kevin, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Anytime, Rob. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your time. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with a push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified.